Welcome to Dead Air with Kumar Madalyar. This is episode six, and Vikash Ravi, my little cousin, has been gracious enough to be interviewed with me today. Today is a nice Wednesday evening, uh, June 13th. And Vikash, uh, yeah, thanks for being interviewed by me today. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, what's, what is going on today? What did you do today? What is going on today? Today was the one day off that I've had in a long time. So I actually didn't really do much of anything today except for stay at home and catch up on, like, homework and stuff because school is awesome. Um, and so I just, yeah, I just stayed home and did homework and didn't have to go to work. And that doesn't usually happen because I go in a lot. So pretty chill day today. You caught me at a good time. Otherwise, it probably would have happened for at least another, like, six months or something. So I, I remember, like, Valen came into town recently, too, right? To Houston? Yeah. Yeah, some a few days ago. How would you guys do? Uh, let's see. He came for, he came on a Sunday, and he came, um, and was talking to my parents downstairs for a little bit. He could only stay for a few hours because his flight was the same night. So, um, he came after going out to lunch with some of his other friends. Uh, parents talked to him. I came downstairs. I was upstairs, like, getting ready. I, like, took a shower and stuff. And I came downstairs. I mean, the conversation was already kind of dead a little bit. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like the disconnect was there. and It was very obvious and apparent. So the first thing I said was, like, hey, Villain, you want to come see my room? He was like, yeah. Was, he just, he hopped off the couch. He was ready to go. He was, was hype, you know. He, so he got up and he was uh, coming to see my room. And I couldn't help but thinking, like, in that moment, I was like, I feel like I'm having, like, a friend over. You know, like, just, like, one yeah. of like, someone from my age group would just kind of, like, chill or play video games with or something instead of, like, my older cousin kind of here for, like, a weekend on his trip or whatever. But so we went upstairs, and as soon as he got into my room, uh, so he went upstairs first, and I didn't go into my room yet. But when he went up to my room, the first thing I hear was, like, this triumphant yell of, yes. And then I walked <laughs> into my room, and, like, his hands are outstretched, and, like, he uh-huh. just, I think I made his. So my room is like Nerd Haven, right? And you're in. So Valen, this is like Valen Heaven. When I first saw the, yeah, when I first saw the picture of like all the like the Wonder Woman poster and stuff like that. Yeah, I thought, yeah. Actually, like, I was like, oh, why are you visiting New Jersey? And I realized yeah. actually it's a good room. <laughs> yeah, that's because I mean I'm just as much. I mean I'm really into a lot of you know pop culture and all that stuff too. So when he came into my room and like saw how I had arranged it because it was just. It's just like it's nerd heaven, um, and so he felt like he was in heaven for a good while, and so that yeah. was like, and you know, he expressed that, and I just thought that was awesome. So we actually spent like the rest of the time upstairs. My parents were downstairs doing their own thing, but we were hanging out uh, in my room, like uh, we were uh, live streaming. There was this video game conference thing going on called E3, so we were live streaming that and talking about like video games and kind of. Uh, you know, the Marvel movies and Infinity War and all other nerd things. And we played uh, board games for a little bit. And then by the time all of that finished, he ended up having to leave. So. That's fine. <laughs> you guys have bonded over the, the nerdery. Oh, dude, yeah. That that formula will always be like that. That is for sure what will happen. Everything. If it's me and Valen, like just the two of us, nerd things are going to happen. Like to expect otherwise is just kind of dumb i think if it's just the two because we we know that this is what we're going to do because we both have tons of like viewpoints and opinions and invest emotional investment into it on some level i guess um because we just spent a lot of time indulging in this kind of stuff i think so that's usually where it goes that's fun yeah i didn't realize you were such a huge nerd 
But it's, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I think I keep it a little bit more on the down low. <laughs> I don't, like I mean, it's not like, like a, a nerd. yeah, it's a secret life, man. It's confidential. It's it's only for those who earn their way into the circle of trust. I mean, you got to be careful. Um, but well, now everyone will know. The world will know exactly. now. Exactly. The world, the world, the world is not ready. Has to be, has to be ready. Has to be deemed worthy. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty into that. Uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of my just interest in hobbies is following gaming and, um, uh, less so on like comics, more so on like kind of graphic novels and like, uh, singular storylines, like adult mature storylines. Like, uh, I don't read as much like DC and Marvel stuff. I read more like, uh, I don't know if you know what Preacher is. Um, yeah, I've read all Preacher. Oh yeah, yeah, I love Preacher, but in like that's that's like a very good example of like standalone storylines that I read, like image comic series and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I don't really read as much of the superhero stuff, but I'm still invested in like comics, I guess. But it, it's not like what the typical conception of comics is. Like when you say comics, I think for a lot of people, the first thing that pops into mind is like superheroes, right? So, um, but then the more educated and cultured of us will know that there's more to comics sometimes than just kind of like superhero stuff. Um, so that's kind of the stuff I started getting into. And then, um, you know, like nerd TV shows, like I really love The Last Airbender. Um, it's like top three favorites. I really like kids shows with mature themes. Like it's, you know, Uh it's meant like the target audience is definitely like a younger audience, but like the themes of it are like, it would, I would be very surprised if like a younger viewer caught on to some of the messages of like what goes on in those kinds of shows. So like that, those kinds of, I guess, kids shows, if it's still kind of considered that even after that category, then those are the kinds of things I really enjoy. And I feel Avatar definitely falls in that category and, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of other related stuff like Young Justice and just cartoons that are kind of like mature-ish is where I put a lot of my time. That gaming and comics is pretty much where most of my pop culture uh, investment goes into. And then, you know, just collecting like memorabilia, like posters and stuff. Like you saw pictures of my room. Mm-hmm. There's like posters everywhere. Um, I yeah. take pride in my setup and like kind of creating that room because uh, it's like my yeah. own personal space. Like outside of the purpose of it, of it being like a nerd room, it's it's just it's a space. It's like my own space that I can kind of go to to unwind and have like mm-hmm. a physical representation of my headspace. So it's just a nice place to kind of, you know, be a little introverted and indulge in the things that I like and kind of just be in my own uh, realm. So it's nice to have that. Kind of that like mental headspace physically mapped out to some extent because I think it's really relaxing um, to have that like owned space, you know. So that's nice. That's nice to have that. I think we yeah, should yeah, it's have like, done the podcast in your room because then we really <laughs> got to get to know you. <laughs> oh no, no, that's that's uh, that's a dangerous Vakash. We don't want to you know traumatize <laughs> anybody listening to this with that with that guy. That guy's that guy's like too much too much to handle. Yeah, he handle. belongs in that room. He never leaves that room. That room, that room needs a lock and key. It's kind of dangerous right now. Anyone can kind of walk in. And, you know, there's no preparation for what they could possibly encounter. It's terrible. But you know, so far no incidents. So far, people have been okay. So and no one's I mean, like lost their mind. It's had that bad. Yeah, no one lost their mind. Security considerations weren't necessary at all, which has been good. Which actually, you know, I remember this was kind of. Take it, going on like a really interesting tangent. Uh, when Bala was in town, um, like he was here over the spring for like a week during my spring break, and I came home after work one day and kind of just walked into my room and he was just like sitting there, 
with his hands in his lap, <laughs> just like looking up. <laughs> and I couldn't tell how long he'd been there. He could, he looked like he could have been there for hours. Um, because he, he's just uh-huh. sitting down looking up. And he wasn't looking. There's a lot of things to look at in there. There's posters all over the wall. But he wasn't looking at any yeah. of the posters. He was just like looking up. And I just, so that yeah. threw me off a little bit more. And so I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and he was like, dude, this place is, I really like this space. Like, I just, I really like this space. I'm, I like, this is such a relaxing place to be. And he told me he was in there earlier. Um, I think he was studying for his boards or something. Uh, so he was in, he yeah. was in my room earlier, like just studying for his boards. He's like, I just feel better in this room. And I was like, good. That's yeah. why I made it, because I feel better in this room, too. So we clearly have something in common here with this, this space. So he actually, you know, kind of getting that outside validation, even though it's, like, my own kind of creation was it's really cool. Right. To know that so I can do that for other people. people. Feel relaxed in your, in your space also. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's, you know, so that was pretty awesome, but, yeah. That's nice. So I would take it way back. Uh, so were you born in Houston? Like, is that where you are born? No, I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, I don't remember it at all. I was told that we moved out when I was a year's one year old. Uh, I don't remember where we moved to. I actually like. I don't. I have no recollection of a lot of moving. Um, and I know Bala will tell you or told you that uh, you know during his childhood we moved a lot, like a lot, a lot. You know, before I was ever in the picture. But I had the exact opposite thing happen. So I was in Shreveport, and then we moved. I don't really remember where we moved to. It could have been Houston. Pretty sure it was Houston. Apparently, we had an apartment at some point. But what I remember from my childhood was um, this uh, single-story house in this area called New Territory in Sugarland, which is like a suburb of Houston. And, like, the first – I just remember that. And we stayed in that area for, I think, a good 13, 14 years. Um, yeah, and we that's didn't where I came all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, we were there for a long time. And, like, that's kind of where we set roots. And I have very, very, very fond memories of that place. And I was there for a long time. And we didn't, and we moved out. And actually, we only moved out, like, 20 minutes away from, like, that house. And that was still kind of traumatizing for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> having to leave that area uh, where I, like, had all these memories so many times. Did you want to leave or not? I didn't want to leave. And I'll still hold to that now. Um, <laughs> like it was, it was very beneficial that we did. Uh, yeah, ended up moving out for me, like practically speaking, because it was a lot closer to the high school that I ended up attending. Um, uh huh. Because it was like the high school I ended up going to was across the street from the house that we moved into. Um, after I, you know, finished up in middle school, and. So that practically worked out because then I was able to kind of just take my time and get there slowly, like to high school. Like I, if I had class at 730, I could wake up at like 720 and make it on time. And that would have not been possible at all, you know, if we'd sit in the old house. But I didn't have any of the connections in the new house that I did, you know, in new territory, like my that old house. Because all of my childhood friends were there, all the people that I went to school with. And we had this little group of people um, that like – it was the part of the uh, the daily lifestyle in that old house was you go to school, you come home, you do your homework, and then as soon as you finish, you go outside because everybody else is going to be outside around the same time. And then every single day, we'd either play basketball or go to the park or play kickball. Mm. Um, there's another game called Nukem. 
uh, and then there was also this phase of like playing Yu-Gi-Oh with each other. Um, uh-huh. and so there's like, you know, we had like a, a functioning like social group that like our outdoor group that we played every single day basketball and stuff. And we had a court that we had built, um, that was in front of our house. That was like the mm-hmm. hub for the rest of the neighborhood kids to come and like knock on our door and ask where I'm at and if I was busy and then I'd come out and then we'd all play basketball together. So like that was like a very normal part of life, but none of that kind of carried over to the new house because, you know, none of those connections were there afterwards. So like in that sense, it was like kind of traumatic having to like have such a physical disconnect um, when it was already like transitioning from middle school to high school was going to be like kind of difficult too. So yeah. Yeah. Well, how long was that sort of ritual of, like, playing with the neighborhood kids going on for? Um, oh, man. Um, as long as I can remember, really. Um, since elementary school, since, like, kindergarten, first grade, all the way up until eighth grade. You know, I mean, people uh-huh. dropped out of the group because, you know, some people had to move out. Other people moved in. But there was always uh-huh. some, in some way, shape, or form, there was a group of us. And there was even this point where, like, I kind of, like, you know, at the time, this felt a lot more important than it was, but I kind of left my neighborhood group and went over to, like, the next-door neighborhood group. Like, there was, like, two subdivisions next to each other, and I left yeah. our subdivision and went to another subdivision, and it was, like, a source of drama what? for a while. <laughs> like, <laughs> because they were like, ah, oh, you ditched us. Like, why did you do this? And, like, there was, like, you know, bond- friendships were destroyed and enemies were made, and it was... Ter- terrible episode and chapter in the life of young Vakash, but I made a decision apparently to like fight, any fights break out as a result. Oh, people died. Um, no, no fights broke out. Uh, we were just it was just kind of like whatever, whatever you can more about this. What happened? Why why do you leave the group to go to the next <laughs> I don't even. I think I just like got bored. Really, I don't even. I think that's what it was. Or like, oh no, no, I remember what it was. It was because a lot of the ki- like the group was kind of dying. A little bit, and, like, a lot uh-huh. of the people that were kind of coming into the group were a little bit newer, and, like, everyone that was, quote-unquote, part of my original batch had kind of moved on or moved out or something, or were, like, doing other yeah. things with their life. Um, so, like, I just didn't feel as connected with a lot of those kids. So I was like, let me just go to the next subdivision, because I knew some people over there, and, like, God, this uh-huh. sounds so, like, weirdly official, but, no, I was like, so I knew some kids over there, <laughs> and, um, like... Yeah in through school or whatever and so I just kind of went over there and um you know that became like a group for a lot like very temporarily for a while uh for like seven, that was like in seventh grade seventh and eighth grade well would you guys do would you do the same kind of things or what yeah kind of yeah activities? yeah basketball newcomb kickball was an in, was a new addition to that routine but it was all the same stuff yeah. it was all outdoors it was all who's available uh one of the girls um, had a trampoline in her backyard, so sometimes that would happen. Um, then we started playing, like, uh, you know, Mafia, which is, like, uh-huh. just this, this is fun. Um, so, yeah, yeah it was the same concept. Mafia, I don't remember the rules as much anymore, um, but it's, like, essentially you have, like, uh, this one person. So you have a bunch of people sitting in a circle, essentially, and you have one person who's kind of the narrator, of whatever the story is, you have one person who acts as like the mafia member, and then you have two people that are the sheriffs, and everybody else civilian. So I don't remember like exactly what the rules were, but the goal of the game was to figure out who the mafia was before they killed everybody in this quote-unquote city. And like uh-huh. the sheriffs had like this additional power to kind of uh, 
see, like, if they could figure out who the mafia was beforehand. And, like, and basically, like, you would have the civilians and the sheriff and everybody kind of vote to see who the mafia was. And then whoever was accused was allowed to defend themselves to say why they weren't the mafia and, like, why somebody else was. So it was just, like, this weird, like, debate kind of arguing game kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, but it was really fun. I'm probably making it a lot more complicated than it is. Uh, but it was like, it was, that was what grade me was into. No, this was just like, uh, people sitting in a circle. It will, and that's it. There was no, like, materials or tools or anything. It was just, we were just in a circle playing this game. Hmm. That sounds so, fun. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It, I mean, it was. Next time we get together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It was actually pretty. I think. I mean, um, I remember I still I played it in college a little bit too. Like it was just kind of one of those things that never one of those games that just really never got old, um, and it's just kind of always fun to play. So yeah, we did that a lot. So like, uh, since you're a little younger than me, sometimes I think that like kids who are younger than me didn't like grow up and play outside as much as I did when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. so I guess apparently it sounds like you spent most of your time outside rather than like just going home and watching television for a couple hours and doing your homework. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh the gener I think the generation that you're probably referring to is the one under me. Like the one like directly under me. Like <laughs> uh-huh. um because yeah that that's a lot I think a little bit more prevalent with um that age group. But yeah, no, but part of it was really lucky too cuz we we lived in a really really good and safe area. Um, where, like, mm-hmm. it was entirely a, just a subdivision. Like, the whole place was this just huge kind of upper-middle-class suburb area, and it was all interconnected with each other. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, it was very, very, very safe. Like, it was – you could tell that this was a place where families came to kind of just raise their kids. Like, that's what this whole area was. And everybody mm-hmm. kind of knew everybody. Um, in the town to some degree. And like, it was a very self-sufficient town. Like all the groceries and stuff were in it. Um, anything you could possibly need in terms of necessities and like services and, you know, even clinics and hospitals, they were all like a functioning part of this like area. So like, it was very, very in and of itself, like just a very safe place. Um, and it had its own little hangout spot. And you know, like those TV shows you watch where like, I don't know, like friends or something, um, where like, there's just like a community. And, like, there's, like, uh-huh. the, pe- the places that people regularly visit and stuff all the time. And, like, that's, like, just the way that the community works. That was very, very similar to what this community was. Like, just like that. Um, I don't know if you watched that 70s show either. It's, like, it's like those, uh, those areas where, you know, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, it's not like uh-huh. if you were to visit Houston, this is, like, a visitor reference point to go to. But it was, like, one of those places where, like, if you lived there, you weren't really able to appreciate how amazing and how safe and how supported you felt in the community until after you leave. Even now, like, I go back every now and then just to, like, bike around. Like, I, so I like kick scooting, not bike around, but I like kick scooting. I still kick scoot sometimes. So there's, like, a, uh-huh. there was a couple times where I would, like, take my kick scooter and go to New Territory. That's the name of this community I'm talking about. I would go to New Territory and I would just scoot around the whole block reminisce, you know, um, because there's a lot of memories of my childhood in almost every area there where, like, 
it's just, it's a lot to take in. Like, my middle school was there. My elementary school is there. The social hubs were all there. Um, mm-hmm. My neighborhoods and kind of where we went to go play, like, Nukem or, you know, just everything was there. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty full of, a very nostalgic yeah. place. So, your elementary school is there. Your middle school is there. So, like, what kind of, like, uh, did you get in trouble at school? Like, what, what was school like for you? <laughs> School was a mixed bag. School was always a mixed bag, even up until high school. Um, elementary, so in elementary school, let's see. Um, I don't, for some reason, I don't have a lot of memories of it. Like, I remember classes, and I remember having some kind of relationship with a couple of my classmates. Um, like, I mean, like, friends with classmates and stuff. But I don't think there was a lot of significant things. that ha- I do remember in fourth grade. Um, like when I started noticing girls for the first time, like I remember that point in time when it happened. It was in fourth grade mm-hmm. when I quote unquote yeah. like first fell for somebody. Or you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, they got a girlfriend in first grade. Whatever that meant. <laughs> like, oh yeah, in, yeah. It was like this, like this white girl. I still remember. And, what? You know, it was like this white girl. She what? had the same no. birthday as I did. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> her. Is that how you guys bonded yeah. over that? Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think that's how I asked her out. I was like, hey, we have the same birthday. What if we could have the same birthday forever? It's like, that was, was kind of, you know, that worked. I mean, it was the smoothest thing any first grader could ever come up with, and she definitely fell for it, apparently. So that was, you know, I did my job well, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I. That must have been a momentous day. Dude, I that's like, to date, the greatest achievement of my life. <laughs> So what would you guys do? Like, would you guys hold hands? No, we, uh, I remember this. There's, like, there was a playground in, like, the back of the school, and at recess, we would climb to, like, the top of the slide and just stare at each other. That's it. We didn't touch. (laughs) We didn't, we would just stare and, like, like, you know, okay, you know, like, those really cheesy Indian, like, double movies where, like, you would hide behind a tree or something? Yeah. And like the you know, the two people would like play eye tag with each other. Like that's what we did, but without the tree and on top of a slide for some reason. I don't know why the slide was relevant at all, <laughs> but it was there and that happened. So did you guys slide down the slide together? Or no, or? we wouldn't even like even after recess was over, we went the opposite direction. We didn't even go down the slide to like get out of recess. <laughs> we like went the scenic route. I don't know why. I, there's no rational explanation for this, but this is what it was like. It was just some kind of ritual that just developed somehow. <laughs> I don't know how. Um, but I, I distinctly remember that, and I remember in fourth in fourth grade, I I think that's when it started. Like before fourth grade, like I have mostly happy memories. I think of elementary school, um, but in fourth and fifth grade, I think things started getting kind of a little rough. Um, there wasn't like. I I don't remember exactly what it was. I I just started not rebelling, but I just started branching out somehow. Like I remember I remember I started caring a lot more what people around me thought about me at that time. Mm. Um and I remember getting some kind of feedback that like I wasn't cool enough or something. I don't remember how I got that feedback. I don't remember how it came to me, but I remember getting some kind of feedback that like I just needed to do better somehow so that I could be perceived better. And so that really started just kind of getting to me. And it wasn't like, uh, there wasn't like any physical bullying or something, but there was like definitely some just kind of verbal harassment. I mean, kids are kind of shitty back, you know, like in fourth and fifth grade um, and in middle school, mm-hmm. especially. 
So, like, I just remember, I remember distinctly in fourth grade, there was this thing about, like, a notebook that I had. Like, there was this spiral-bound basketball notebook that I had, and in it I would write, like, the name of a classmate and underneath a description of them. Um, uh-huh. Like, of what I thought of them. And Interesting. I had, yeah, I don't remember what motivated this, but I think it was, like, something that I just wanted to keep a secret to myself, like, some some way to just navigate, I guess, how I felt about people. And I, it was just a very uh-huh. confusing set of emotions that started happening in fourth grade. But I remember that, I remember getting caught. Uh, one of my classmates, like, saw me writing this book, and then they took it, and then they showed mm-hmm. it to the teacher. And the teacher was like, what? What? <laughs> you can't really. What? Think. What are you um, writing about stuff? Like, what do you remember? Like, what are you describing? What is? Um, just like I was like, so this person is uh, is a nice person, and she's really good at math, and you know, if you talk to her about this and this, she can help you with this and this, or like, and there was like flaws in it too, like, oh, you know, she's not the best person to talk to when it comes to this kind of stuff, and then for somebody yeah. else to be like, oh yeah, this person is like kind of sensitive about this. I'm not sure if anything happened. You know, it was like very kind of like. Essentially, just my very raw and personal thoughts on what those kinds of... Just to understand like, what, people, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, my understanding of who they were. And I would go back and, like, add to it whenever I got some kind of new piece of information or something. But it was, a, it, like, yeah. and I didn't realize how much of an invasion of privacy it was. But, and I didn't think it was. I don't know but it why. Definitely I, don't, becomes yeah, one. I don't think it is. I don't think it's an invasion of privacy. I mean, unless it becomes public knowledge, it's simply your kind of like a yeah, exactly. It became and that's what happened. It uh, became public knowledge because like one of my classmates yeah. saw me writing it, and then they took it up, and then like it ended up just kind of circulating. And then this was like, uh, in, in that classroom specifically, it became like a source of just rumors for a while. And then this like turned off a lot uh-huh. of my classmates to me into having any kind of interaction with uh-huh. me because they didn't want me to like put it in my notebook kind of thing. And my teacher didn't really know how to handle all of this. Cause <laughs> yeah. like, you know, yeah. my teacher was like, because I wasn't bullying anybody and I wasn't doing anything wrong per se. It was actually more the student who caught me's problem. And maybe I should have been yeah. more discreet about it. I probably shouldn't have brought it, whatever. But the point is, was like, she just didn't know how to address the situation. Like, this was a very integrated, like, <laughs> um, intra fourth grade society kind of thing that was going on. Yeah, there's not really and, much teacher can do about that. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't anything, like, physical happening. There wasn't... It, it was very hard to say that somebody was in the wrong and somebody was in the right. It was just kind of how life was progressing for us fourth graders at the time. Um, yeah. But I remember this whole thing kind of playing out. Uh, and after that, I think I just kind of had a really shitty time in school after that, going all the way to middle school. <laughs> Um, and then finishing middle school. And actually, part of the reason I even moved away from the high school that I was zoned to was because I didn't want to go to school with the people that I was going to middle school with. Because, like, where I lived at the time um, – so this is when it started getting a little complicated. Um, like, middle school was terrible. Like, middle school was bad, um, period. Uh, uh-huh. There was no, very, very few when- good moments. So middle school is bad because of the same kind of stuff that was going on in fourth grade. Just kind of those side dynamics just continued on through middle school. Yeah. School or, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. um, that and it was like, I mean, I was bullied in middle school for sure. Um, and because I, so I don't know if you remember. I mean, you probably have a pretty good memory, but I was a very chubby kid in elementary middle school, right? Like I was not like the skinniest guy. Yeah, you're chubby, but I didn't think you were fat or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, like middle schoolers are shitty people. So like, chubby, whatever they can say to kind of get in your, they don't care like about the technical difference between chubby and fat, right? So I mean, like, um, in middle school, I think, 
I spent a lot of time trying. Uh, so I spent a lot of time trying to get into like the in crowd, whatever that meant, um, and trying to figure. So there was like, and the, I could go on for that for ages about what exactly that looked like. But essentially, what happened was, um, you know, I just was for whatever reason, I just was perceived as not being cool enough. You know, to mm-hmm. to be my friend around those times was like kind of so it was more so for people that more or less kind of felt sorry for me I think that's what the perception was um that like I didn't really have a lot of real friends or real connections um and even you know I mentioned earlier about like these people I would used to play outside with when I was in middle school um like you know I was kind of getting bullied by them too and I remember um here's some pretty good examples so in the locker room like in the men's locker room like during PE and stuff they used to call me muffins because I had man boobs. Um, and I still have man boobs, but nobody calls me muffins anymore because people aren't nearly as shitty as adults. So, but in, in middle school, yeah. like, in the locker room, they used to call me muffins because, like, I just couldn't hide it. You know, the chubbiness was just kind of out. And then I also uh, didn't wear boxers. I was wearing, like, tidy whities right? I was wearing underwear. So they would call me tidy whities because yeah. they, like, thought that was, like, the weirdest thing. So it was like, okay, so essentially yeah. what ha- this is what happened. I think, I think I figured out a way to, to get the message across. Like, I was very sheltered up until fifth grade. And obviously, you know, my parents didn't have a very good understanding of what is considered, like, socially acceptable for that age group or, like, these kids or whatever. So I did a lot of things that, for me, were very normal, but for everybody else was very weird. One of those things, a good example of that was, like, wearing tidy whities right? Mm -hmm. That That was a pretty good one. Another one, and this is, like a very intricate example, but it's like wearing like a collared t-shirt with like an athletic basketball shorts that didn't go over like past my knees. You know, if you, uh-huh. if you wore something like that, you would get bullied for it. Um, not knowing what slides were. Uh, it's like, you know, like all these intricacies of like what's considered popular in the social culture of middle school. Like I had no clue what any of those things are or were because I just didn't, you know, there was just no record of me knowing that. And so I would get punished for it. Um, mm. in like very explicitly and implicitly, the most explicit one was like being called tidy whities and like um, being called muffins um, or whatever, and that like really got to me because I was I remember spending a large part of my time trying really hard to penetrate these social circles, um, uh-huh. and that's where my preoccupation went. Like, was like, what does it take to be cool, kind of thing, um, and why am I not getting there? So like that kind of screwed me over a lot during middle school, and like that definitely got to me quite a bit because you know you don't know anything else when you I mean you're in middle school the only two lives that you have are at home and at school yeah you don't really know anything else so like if the only two if the so at home I was having enough of I was getting bullied for the same reason they called me butter I think butter fingers or like butter or something uh when I was playing outside with no 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 my parents sorry (laughs) uh like no 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 no. my parents my parents had no idea any of this was going on uh, yeah, exactly. when I when I was uh, I, when I was you know I told you I like transferred subdivisions or whatever like this group of people that yeah, I was right. playing with in the other subdivision they would like very harmlessly call me like butter or butterfingers or something because like whenever we were playing Nukem or basketball I, the the ball would slip whenever I tried to catch it and uh-huh. so like that became like that stuck. Yeah, and I remember trying really <laughs> I hate hard. When that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like I was remember trying really, really hard to like get out of that, but like, see, guys, look, I caught the ball, and I actually got like way better at basketball and shit. But it didn't matter, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it, like it yeah. didn't matter because like it just stuck, and like that got to me a lot. And I even I got so pissed off that I left 
like, a couple times. But then I would always come back because I had nowhere else to go. And so, like, at home, the only time I felt okay was at home, like, in my house. Mm-hmm. But that was a very – I mean, that didn't happen a lot because I was either outside or at school. And then both times I was not having a good time with, like, my relationships there. So – it's interesting that uh, like, you still went outside that. rather than just like like hiding in your room or anything like that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. No, still, I like, think hiding out. my room would have been um, particularly terrible. I think <laughs> that would have yeah. been. Like, I don't think that would have ended very well, and I think I knew that at that time. I think I was aware enough to know that like I need to just not be in my room because that could have ended pretty badly. And so I became kind of. I mean, it became uh, middle school became a little really problematic, and I started having some. And I'm acknowledging this now because now I know what it was, but I was, like, very depressed in middle school. Mm. Um, And because of all this stuff and, like, constantly, constant, like, low-level anxiety of feeling, like, hated or disliked or that I wasn't good enough, that I would never be good enough, that, you know, nobody liked me. And I was getting a lot of examples of that. Um, People were, like, constantly calling, like, pointing out my flaws, you know, like, oh, yeah, you have man boobs. Um, and that like mm-hmm. preoccupied in, in even now, like it's still an insecurity now because of that specific episode, um, in time, you know, it's something I've always been very self-conscious of. Um, but like, so yeah, I was, I was very depressed in middle school and there was like some very severe things that kind of came out of that. I remember, um, having to go through, um, and th- so this is pretty heavy, this is pretty heavy stuff, but then, you know, I was having some suicidal ideation for a while. Um, and I almost went through with it a couple of times. Um, and I got really lucky because I ended up making a couple of connections towards my eighth, like towards the end of eighth grade and like in seventh and eighth grade, there was one or two people that kind of by luck found their way into my life a little bit and, um, helped me for lack of a better word and like kind of gave me a space to where I had friends because I felt like I didn't have any friends until these people were kind of there, you know, in seventh and eighth grade. So, um, they helped me kind of pull me out of this dark place I'd sort of dug for myself in uh like middle school and so I came out of that. And another thing that helped a lot was I was in orchestra um throughout middle school. So uh, one of the times that I felt okay was when I was playing my instrument because I actually did really good. I mean, I worked my way up to symphony cello, and right? I made like yeah. the region. Yeah, yeah, cello, yeah, exactly. And I worked my way up to symphony and I you know, I was always I was in like the top 4 or 5 chairs, which is pretty good. Um the orchestra lower, like the Philharmonic, I was like first or second chair always. Um, I was usually, I actually ended up, I became second chair most of the time, but then like the last concert of the year, I ended up being first chair. And I, I remember that okay. being like a great moment. Um, but awesome. then like in symphony, I was like in fourth, fourth or fifth chair usually. I think the highest I ever got to was third. And that was just kind of like awesome <laughs> because I could never get past that. Um, but you know, so that was, you know, those moments kind of kept everything going and turned what could have been a very serious thing into, I mean, it was a very serious thing, but it turned, it became fortunate. And I was lucky enough for some of those circumstances to be present in a way that let it be fortunate, because otherwise it could have probably not have ended very well, I think. So, I mean, I'm very thankful for those kinds of things. But yeah, middle school was a shit show. I hated it. Middle school was terrible. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I'm glad that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it it was, I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot from it. Um, And it's also just kind of like kids that age are kind of just kind of a little messed up. And, you know, you talk to the same people now, and I have. I, like, am friends with a lot of those kids that used to do that to me back in the day, and, like, they hated the way they were, you know? (laughs) Like, they, 
they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said shit like that. You know, like, I can't believe I would say or do uh-huh. anything like that. Um, and, but, you know, it happened and they did. And even now, like, it's hard for me to come to terms with the fact that, like, I got as affected by that as I did. But I did. And it happened. But it was, it's better now, obviously. Um, much better. But middle school was like, it was, it was, it was a difficult time. It was really hard. Um, and that's what ended up kind of motivating my decision to not go to high school with the same group of people. Like, I had recovered yeah. enough to a point to where I was like, I think I want a new start kind of thing. Um, yeah. So there was this opportunity that kind of just luckily presented itself to where I could go to this other high school where they had, like, these specialized programs. And if I got into the program, um, then I could go to that high school. It was in the same district. It wouldn't have mattered. Um, you know, I wouldn't have to worry too much about, like, a lot of other things and at the time we we didn't realize that we were going to be moving at the time uh we were like oh we can still stay in the same there was an option for us to stay in the same house and go to that high school mm-hmm. for me so i uh-huh. ended up applying and i got into the high school and then i was like yeah you know what this would be this is a good decision i'm, I'm gonna start over i'm gonna try again and see if like i can get away from this because this is a destructive place and i don't want to continue to high school with these kinds of connections um, so that was ultimately what fueled my decision to like go to that program. Um, it wasn't even because like, so the academy I got into, like the program I got into is called the medical academy, but the mm-hmm. reason, the, the, the fuel for that decision wasn't because like, oh, hey, I want to, to learn medicine. It was more like I need to not go to the high school that I'm zoned to <laughs> was what it was. How could you realize that and you were able to like, yeah. go somewhere else rather than continuing on, you know, trudging yeah, on? Was, Fortunate circumstances, very, very fortunate circumstances that let me kind of do this, so it worked out. So was high school, like, immediately a lot better when you started? Yeah, yeah, high school was high school was a mixed bag, um, but definitely way better than middle school. Um, when I started out, I had, like, a <laughs> – because of, like, my quote-unquote learning curve and, like, quote-unquote what is cool <laughs> from middle school, mm-hmm. I took a lot of that and applied it to, like, high school – and it worked a little bit. Like, it worked a lot better. And I was still, like, yeah. a dork. There was still a lot of stuff I didn't know. And a lot of stuff I was, like, quote-unquote doing wrong or whatever. But I made friends a lot faster and a lot easier because – and, you know, people are a lot more mature in high school than they were in middle school, too, which helps quite a bit. But, yeah, it was a lot better. Uh, my first two years especially I think were really, really good. Um there was a, there was some other stuff that happened with like you know that was also around the time when I started getting into my first like significant relationships like you know like significant other relationships girlfriend boyfriend type stuff and those things didn't really end very well like those were kind of bad experiences but um in terms of like my social circles and like my friend circles and stuff and like trying to establish whatever those kinds of things meant to me it was way better like way better I had a lot more. Um, and of an understanding on how to approach those kinds of things. So those, it, it, it was better. Um, it was really good for those first two, two and a half years. Uh-huh. Towards the end of my sophomore year, though, I went through like, was it end of sophomore year? It was like end of sophomore, beginning of junior year, like maybe the summer or something. Like, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I went through like a particularly terrible breakup at the time. And like the mm-hmm. circumstances of it were very, very, very bad. So, like, that kind of mm-hmm. threw a lot of things off for like the next year for me. Cause it was kind of a serious relationship. I mean, for as, serious as it could have been in, like, a 10th grade mindset, it was pretty bad for me, and it kind of just messed me up a little bit at that time, too. So there was, like, this whole incident where we had to get a counselor involved, and 
it, 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 it like, escalated pretty badly. It was, like, this, yeah, it was, like, this whole thing where I was, like, the school kind of deemed me to be not safe in the, so, essentially, what happened in this relationship is the person, more or less, like, cheated on me with another person at the school, and so it was perceived by the school for me not to be in the same classroom as this other kid, like, as long as I stayed there for the rest of the year, so they actually had to, like, go, and I had to go to the counselor and, like, get that figured out. So where they could, like, put me in a separate classroom. It, like, turned into, like, a whole thing. And, like, a lot of people in the school were pretty pissed off at this girl, too, uh, for, like, having to put me through this kind of whatever, this whole situation or whatever it was. And so I ended up like, right. having a lot of connections kind of come out of this, which is the strangest thing. But it was, like, it was weird, you know, having to, like, having that kind of happen, I think. But That's it was wild. also right. validating to have, like, people have your back, you know, to know that that was there. Yeah. So... Yeah, like, so the way that I, like, perceive it in my head, I think, is, like, middle school was really shitty for, like, the social aspect and, like, this depression that kind of happened and all this, like, stuff. Um, High school was a mixed bag and kind of bad, more so because I learned a lot more about, I think, significant relationships and what that meant and, like, what it means to, like, be a true friend to somebody and also... Like, the point in time where, like, you know, high school is when people kind of start to party a little bit more and, like, go out and do stuff like that. And um, I was never – I never really identified with that crowd as much. And so junior and senior year of high school, like, a lot of the friends that I had made my first and second year of high school, it started to crumble a little bit because I was so different mm-hmm. from them in terms of, like, that was the point where I kind of decided, like, I don't think being popular is worth it anymore. I don't think trying yeah. to attain this popularity status is, like – a good thing and so a lot of that growth happened around for the end of high school um but it also made me apparent that like i was not compatible with a lot of the connections that i made my first couple years so like they're essentially from middle school throughout high school there's this whole growth and understanding of oh my god i want to you know be popular i want to have friends and et cetera, et cetera. and then kind of this whole growth of understanding how messed up that whole message is in the first place um and like, you know, what what that actually means and kinda of how people operate and you know, my whole fostering and of like an understanding of how psychology, like my interest in psychology kinda of started around the same time and there's just this whole growth phase of me trying to understand why people acted the way they did. And you know, through a lot of trial and error experiences. A lot most of those experiences which were errors or like fuck like fuck ups or mistakes of some kind. Um, but I got something very significant out of it that I could take with me and apply to my life that helped later on with whatever. So by the end of yeah. my senior year of high school, I figured, like, I kind of had a very, very good understanding of myself because of all of the stuff that happened the years prior to that, um, even though most of it was, like, not great. <laughs> and toward the end of high school, I kind of figured out, like, which connections in high school were going to be the ones that mattered to me the most. These are people I still talk to today, you know, so. Yeah. And it's definitely very weird and interesting to see, like, kind of how my old middle school bullies are doing on Facebook or, like, how my old, uh, like, you know, these people I was super, super close to my freshman and sophomore year of high school to see their updates in life and how they're doing now Um, because, like, we're not really friends anymore because we had falling out that never really got patched up and, like, just kind of this whole stuff that happened that I don't think is ever going to go back to, like, a point where we were close with each other. But it's an interesting thing to kind of reminisce about, I think, sometimes, like, knowing that once upon a time you and this one person were really, really, really close 
but now like whenever uh-huh. you see some kind of update or something on them, they're like they're a stranger, but you also still kind of know them uh-huh. because you know how their personality operates, even though if the details of their lives are a little bit different than what they used to be, but like you know what kind what kind of person they are, like what uh, uh, how they think or how they approach things, and like it's a weird thing to have that kind of intimacy with somebody you don't ever feel comfortable going to again, and vice versa for that, whoever that person is. So a lot of these kinds of thoughts plagued my high school like thing. A lot of introspection. A lot of like, what do I want? Who? Uh, what kind of person am I? Uh, what kind uh-huh. of person do I want to be? Uh, is this worth it? Is it not worth it? Why isn't it worth it? Like, it was a lot of introspection. A lot of like me trying to figure out like, you know, what direction do I want to take my life, kind of thing. Um, and I remember, and, I, and to this day, I think I'm very thankful for that because I was told. Um, that that kind of thinking is not, like, the most typical thinking, like, that early on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah I think like, to figure that stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's just, you know, you having all these thoughts of, like, trying to figure out what kind of person you want to be while high school and all of the cultures and things that are associated with high school are going on at the same time. It's like a weird, it's a very unique experience. It's a very specifically unique yeah. experience. To the point of where I never really related to any perception or iteration of high school that I've seen outside of my own experience that are, like, popularized in, I, I don't know, movies or whatever. Or not movies, but, you know, like, just what the conception of high school is. is not anywhere yeah. near what my actual experience was. So. It sounds, like, very tough, but, yeah, like, a, you learned a lot and you grew a lot through it. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's mostly what high school was for sure. Weren't you like? Were, but you must have been popular to some degree in terms. Weren't you like junior prom king? Oh yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I was. Uh, I was. Yeah. When I was. Um, when I was a senior, I ran for prom court just because I don't know why. Because by senior, by the end of senior year, I had kind of established my niche. I think, like in whatever uh-huh. high school society was, and honestly, like. I was kind. Of, I kind of just did it as a joke. Like I just ran for it as a joke, and people perceived it as a joke. And I just, yeah. Uh, and I started kind of dancing around that time. Like I was terrible at it, but like, uh-huh. I think I I fulfilled the role of like this kid that it was attempting to be cool, but was still very much a nerd. And I owned that role, and people really uh-huh. I think took to the fact that I was doing my best to own that role, and so they liked that. Uh-huh. You know. <laughs> I think they kind of liked this kid though, just kind of being authentically himself, even though even if not everybody agreed with what kinds of things this authentic person was trying to, you know, what kind of what whatever I believed or whatever. But um, yeah, no, yeah. To, to some to some degree, I think the authenticity of who I was was visible to pretty much everybody else by the end of senior year, to the point of where I was very comfortable being myself, to the point of where I think it transcended a little bit of what expectations for popular stuff was. And I think uh-huh. that was very good for a lot of people to see that. And it was also very good for me to perceive that a lot of people were seeing that because it was very validating for me when I got verbal feedback about, like, hey, I kind of like that you're doing this. So if, as a joke, I decided to run for prom yeah. court just to see if I could, if I actually did break it enough to, like, yeah. still be voted in as, like, this is, this is how my brain worked. I was like, did I break the thing, like, the society or the system enough to be able to run for what is, like, the most, glorified position in high school and win. Yeah. Because if I could, <laughs> right. then, like, that yeah. would be, like, the biggest success for myself in terms of, like, 
my ability to transcend whatever the expectations were. Like, that was what high school me was thinking. And I didn't get prom king, but I got prom, uh, what was it, prince, I think is what it was. Which right. is, like, second place, <laughs> essentially. I remember that, um, yeah. Yeah, so, I, like, I got that, and I got, like, my little crown and my little prom prince sash, and it's still in my house. Like, my parents have it, like, hanging on our little trophy table in the corner. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm still, it was such a, yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, but, yeah, I think I did achieve it to some degree because I did make some connections. and People knew who I was. Whether or not they liked me was a different question, but they knew who I was, and I definitely had a presence. It was very weird for me to encounter somebody in my grade in our, like, in our social circle that didn't know who I was or had not interacted with me in some way. And that was very, so very in some way you're, like, where you're pretty popular then. Um. Yeah, and, you know, there was a lot of, like, mixed reviews on whether or not I was wholly liked or not. Like, that just depends on who you ask kind of thing. But, yeah, people knew who I was, and I definitely knew who they were. So there was a lot of that. You probably had, like, a a three-star Yelp review or something like that? Oh, yeah, dude. It would be at least four and a half stars. Four or four and a half stars? At least four and a half stars. I did. Maybe it started off with like a two or three star thing towards like the beginning of high school. And then people leave reviews like definitely worked in progress, has good ideas, but needs to emphasize them a bit more. And then, you know, it's like you take the feedback and do it with the kid and people rate you higher. So at the end, it's great. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting mixed bag sort of experience. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about it in a long time. Like a lot of memories are coming up right now, now that I'm reminiscing about it for sure. So, like, uh, what were you doing, like, in the summertime in high school? And, like, what would you and Bala do in high school? Like, what would you guys Oh, yeah. Um, it was minimal. Um, when I was in high school, it was pretty minimal because this is around the time that he was at Money Paul. He had gone. Like, yeah, he left yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, he was. He left. And so, since Bala is six years older than me, we never were really, to be very blunt, we weren't really close until, like, more recently um, because... <laughs> Our stages of life were so different um, at the beginning because, like, you know, when, when I was in third grade, he's six years older than me, right? So when I was in third grade, he was ninth. So, like, his priorities yeah. and mine were very, very different from each other at right. that time. Yeah. As opposed to, like, you know, when I'm 18 and he's 24, it's a little bit closer together, like, what our understandings of things are. And yeah. especially now, like, because I'm 22 and he's – 20 well he will be 29 uh in a month but you know like we have a now like our understanding like the way where our brain is at is more compatible with each other than it was like when i was 10 and he was 16 you know what i mean um so when he was in money paul and stuff when i was in high school like we uh i mean he called every now and then but honestly he was kind of just living his life doing whatever he was doing at money paul and figuring out the answers to his own questions while he was there. And then I was kind of doing my own thing. Like, I never felt particularly like that we were super, super close. Like, we definitely had something. We had, like, we had a bond and we were siblings and we recognized that, but we would, we never really confided in each other. Um, yeah. In that way at all. Like, we didn't know, a, we basically didn't really know anything about each other's lives. Um, uh-huh around that time, like, you know, not, none of the stuff that really mattered. We knew, like, all the superficial stuff and, like, all the stuff that, like, if somebody asked me what he was doing and where he was at, I'd be able to answer and vice versa, but beyond that, not a lot. So, 
when he was here in the summer, when we did spend time together, we played a lot of video games. Like we have a our go to was Gears of War, um, which has like a co op campaign. We loved playing video games with co op campaigns. Um, uh-huh. so that we could just both sit through a story together. Like, that is, like, even to this day, that's our go-to activity, is, like, when we're together, to play video games together and, like, uh-huh. to play through, like, that. And we got really, really good at it. So Gears of War is, like, our that was our premier, like, thing to do whenever we were together. Because like, that would last hours and hours. Um, and then as soon as that was over, we'd go back to doing whatever we wanted to do by ourselves, you know? Um, so we played a lot of video games. Um, we also played, like, board games and stuff with the family. Like, that became a thing whenever he came back to just kind of go out to eat with the family. Or, like, he made it a... Uh-huh. You know him. Like, he's like a family guy. Like, he's so into <laughs> family. And so into, yeah. like, you know, like, making sure that everybody gets along and family bonding and stuff. And, like, I've never really been about that. I've always been, like, more independent, like, <laughs> like soul in that sense, but he's, like, really, so he'll push, like, when he's back home, he pushes to make sure that we spend time together and, like, do things as a family, and he, like, is responsible for, I think, very building up that value in me a little bit, um, because he pushed for it so much, so, if I'm being honest, like, he always tried harder to hang out with me than I did with him, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I was always, like, I don't really want to do this, but he'd be, like, yeah, let's go play video games, or, like, like, and, and basketball was another thing, we played a lot of basketball. He's the one that taught me how to play. Uh-huh. So, and then I ended up loving the sport. So then we—that's another thing we did a lot together. And so, like, yeah, but basketball, video games, and then like family bonding in terms of like we would play board games like Monopoly or Life or you know like some of the generic stuff all together as a family. That yeah. was like what we spent most of the time doing. Outside of that, like when I was in middle school and elementary and high school. Oh, sorry. What were you asking? Oh uh, no worries. I was just like asking like who won all the video board games. So it's like a. Oh, he did. He did a lot more. Yeah, back back then he was winning. Um, <laughs> yeah, Karen Ward was a little, back then he was winning, but then like the tide started to change a little bit. Like as I was getting older. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, I don't know if you'll ever openly admit this, but he's like a very sensitive person when it comes to losing. Like he hates it. Like, he's, <laughs> he's a very he's a very competitive spirit. Um, yeah. And so like he hates losing. Like he absolutely <laughs> despises losing like you could like ruin the relationship with him for an entire day if you lost enough time I, 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 it's gonna motivate me to like even like want to beat him even more <laughs> yeah ex- yeah exactly that's kind of what happened and, like i remember specifically like uh i got i got better at him there was this one day i remember we were playing gears of war and i just yeah. won every match that we played that day because we were playing on opposing teams that day um yeah and like I won every single match that we played that day, and he uh, didn't talk to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> like he just got up and left, and like we didn't—he didn't even acknowledge me. I tried, like, to, and I remember feeling up. guilty about it. Like I remember feeling really guilty about it, like You're winning like, why so did much. I beat him? Why did I yeah, <laughs> yeah, like really, I was like, well, I could have just let him win one, but like, no, he just—he wasn't talking to the rest of the day. And I, <laughs> and even now, I remember every single time we play together now, like. He will insist that we play it on the same team or like co-op. <laughs> like he does not like playing against me, um, and I don't know if it's because of this. I don't even know if he remembers this, but maybe he's it, traumatized it, on a subconscious level if he can't handle it. Yeah, like it's so funny. It's really funny. Um, I think it's hilarious. I think I think he would be a little bit more defensive about it. 
Um, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait to see what his feedback, like his reaction is to this interview, and like to to hearing about this, like my because I've never really told him about it. <laughs> like <you> remembering <laughs> this. So that's gonna be a fun conversation. I want to be a rematch. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, a lot of our time together was spent doing stuff. We never really talked about mm-hmm. our lives or anything. And that changed like a lot, you know, recently. Just kind of circumstances that have happened that have allowed him to trust me more and to open up to me more and to be more vulnerable with me. Um because he was given the understanding based on my reaction and response to a lot of things that he was telling me about was like um, and understanding one, like, he felt that I was empathizing with him, and he felt that, like, I could understand, like, I, he felt that I had achieved a level of maturity that was able to understand mm-hmm. whatever it was he was talking about and what he was going through, mm-hmm. and he was like, okay, and I think he had this thought process where it was like, okay, he understands this, then maybe I can, like, talk to him and be more comfortable with him about other stuff, and so, you know, we talked about other stuff, and then it just kind of built up from there, but that didn't really start happening until, honestly, towards the end of my college career. Um, mm-hmm. And then it really got, and that, and the, and even then it was not as much. It was, a, it was, it, it was, it started, that process started towards the end of my college career. And there was a, like hints of it before that, but it mm-hmm. blew up a lot more and it became more apparent after college. Um, mm-hmm. with, like where this connection kind of came out. So me and him are way, like the closest we've ever been now than I think we've ever been before. And because before we weren't really, if I'm being honest, I don't think we were like really super close. I mean, we did stuff together, um, but we didn't mm-hmm. really know a lot about who we were and who the mm-hmm. other person was. Like we had understandings of how the other person worked and what they did, but like in terms of like confidential secrets or like things that have happened or, you know, like our vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and our weaknesses with each other, like we didn't really get into all of that and like really trust each other with a lot of those vulnerabilities until you know, kind of later on when I had, when he felt that I was kind of ready to hear about some of the deeper stuff that he was going through. Um, Mm. And, you know, I've gotten, and even, you know, like at his, um, at like some events, I remember I met his, his best friend, Harish, and we were talking a lot about like his college life. I was talking to his best friend about his college life. and I learned a lot about some, like about him from his best friend that, stuff I'd never known before and I was like man I don't know if I know him super well but we talked about it afterwards <laughs> and yeah I was like I don't know if I know him super well but like we talked a lot about it afterwards too and like just like kind of being able to open up and stuff and that was great like I was like oh my god we're actually like we have that bond now um than we ever had before um and that was really I think that's really great that that ended up happening and that especially and it's extremely validating and affirming to know that like he feels that I'm in a place where I can like listen to him and get it. Cause I don't think that, I don't think he ever truly felt that way before when, you know, obviously when I'm 10 and he's 16, blah, 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 it's not going to happen around that time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so what was, how did you choose A&M and then like, how was college? Like, like you said you started dancing in high school. Like, so how did like, you weren't really dancing before then? Like what was it like? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Right. So, okay. Uh, well, with the dancing, that whole interest started in seventh grade. I remember watching Step Up 2 with my parents. That I just, I will uh-huh. never forget that. And I remember right after watching that movie, I went into my room and Step tried to freak out. It's a, a, so yeah, Step Up is a series of dance movies. Um, 
Uh, Step Up 2 was, like, the one that came out at, around that time, and it was on DVD, and we rented it. Um, and, like, mm-hmm. it was, like, it was a dance movie, and it was about hip-hop dance and or urban dance. And, like, I watched it, and I got really interested. I was like, huh, I wonder what this is all about. And so I tried to freestyle in my room afterwards, and I was terrible at it. But, like, that's when the interest started. Um, and then all throughout high school, I had, you know, it, it's not even I – can't, I can't even honestly consider it dancing. Like, in high school, I tried – I can say that I was trying to dance very, very hard. <laughs> I was terrible. Yeah. But, like, I was good enough to look dorkily funny, like, while I was doing it. Like, I was good enough to be where, like, I had a couple of things going for me, where you could see that there was a ton of potential and none of it was realized yet. <laughs> like, uh-huh. that was That's what high good. school dancing was. Yeah. Um. But I remember I I was in it enough towards the end of high school where, like, I started, I was, well, honestly, A&M was a very practical decision. I didn't, I didn't really care where I went to college, to be honest. I didn't really care about it being an Ivy League. I didn't care about, like, what kind of school it was, what kind of people there were. I, I didn't care about the party atmosphere, like, what that would be like. I just cared, like, practically. I figured no matter what college I went to, I would find a group of people that I could, like, relate to. You know, like, no matter what kind of college I went to, no matter what kind of people I encountered, I would be able to make friends. <laughs> like, I didn't. That wasn't a concern of mine. Like, I was confident in that. Mm-hmm. So A&M just kind of happened because it was, like, they gave me the most amount of money in terms of scholarship, and it was the cheapest, and it was a good enough school, and that was it. Those, those were the only things. All the traditions and stuff that a lot of other people choose it for, like, that wasn't even in my base. I didn't really care about that, like, at all. Yeah. And I wasn't willing to pay, like, a ton of extra money to go to UT or whatever, where a lot of my other high school friends went and stuff, because I was like, I don't really care about that stuff and I don't think that's where the emphasis should be like I'm going to school and I'm going to have fun while I do it that's pretty much it um so A&M choice wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot that went into it but um when I was at A&M I did this thing called fish camp uh the summer before I went like started my freshman year and fish camp was like an amazing experience I had a great 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 time yeah like freshman camp camp. like yeah okay so fish Uh is like you know freshman fishies whatever and we learned a lot about A&M traditions. Like, fish camp was just an amazing experience. Well, it was like a three-day camp where you would go to, like, this uh, – I forgot the name of the, the the actual camp, but, like, the name of the place we went to. But you would go there, and you would bunk with a bunch of other guys. Um, and then three days, they would just – are four full, chock full of activities and bonding times. Mm-hmm. And we'd have, like, our little own small groups and, like, times where we could be vulnerable with each other. And, like, it was just this great, great experience. And so it really sold me on, like, A&M's ability to just be very an opening and, well, like, open and welcoming space. And to this day, I'm still in contact heavily with, like, people from that camp <laughs> that I would never saw after the camp was over or was never in oh, really? with. And yet I still have connect. Like, yeah, I, like, I'm still connected to those people. Um, and I just, we still have fond, like, memories of, you know, with each other during that time period. So it really sold me on A&M. But also through that, I was more or less recruited by this organization called Fade to Black that came and performed at Fish Camp every year. And, like, I was at one of the performances, and a lot of people that had kind of seen me dance a little bit before were kind of pushing me in the direction, like, hey, go check these guys out. And so I did, and then they saw me, and they actually kind of made me dance, um, and they made me freestyle in the middle of the circle, um, and the guy that actually uh-huh. pushed me into freestyling in the middle of my circle ended up later on becoming my dance big because we had bigs and littles and fade of black and he ended up being my dance big later. But so that started like that and then, huh? Like your dance big brother? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and long story short, when I started at A and M, the first thing I did was when I went and auditioned for Fade to Black. Um, uh-huh. and so they they took me in, and that's when that really started. Uh, that's when my training really started with them, uh, with Fade to Black, and then I just and so they I made a lot of connections there. And I wasn't very, I was like terrible at dancing when I started out. But they told me later on that the reason they like took me in was because they saw like all of this potential that they could tap into. They're like, you look like you could be really great at this. <laughs> you know, like uh-huh. um, you, you, you have a lot in you and, you know, we want to maximize on that. And they also wanted to give people that wanted to dance, like really wanted to learn how to dance a space to do it. And I, my interest uh-huh. had been there since like six or seven years prior. So I was like, yeah, I really want to learn how to do this. This would be a great thing to kind of know how to do. And, you know, I just loved the way it looked. I loved the way it was that you could express yourself and everything. So I started with Fade to Black. And the longest story short with that, they just started training me. And I started participating. And I had friends. And I had connections. And so it just ended up being where, when I wasn't at school, I was dancing. It just kind of became second nature. It was the second part of my life and a huge part of my identity throughout college. Um, so Fade of Black was, was one space, but the more, actually the more important space, I think the one that took up the most amount of time and, uh, investment for me, like in terms of social connection and like my understanding of dance as like an art and a sport was, uh, this group called Fused, which was freestyle underground street dancers. And outside of Fade of Black, so Fade of Black was very choreography based, but Fused is all about freestyling and understanding of the culture of hip-hop and knowing what hip-hop was and understanding how, like, everybody has their own kind of movement and what that means for them. And free and so freestyling is like, you don't, you're not given a set of moves to dance to. You just make it up on the spot. There's ways that you can train yourself to be better at it over time and to be able to flow better with the music. But no matter what, yeah, um, it's always you make it up on the spot. And there's a whole culture associated with that. And my most important social connections and my social circles were through Fused um, uh-huh. that are still going very, very strong to this day. So A&M, um, I chose A&M practically just because of my stuff. Yeah. I ended up falling in love with it because of the dance scene. And so through dance and, like, through all of the connections I made through dance, and it became like such a great place for me, and it was honestly solely because of my like ability to dance there and what that gave me. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of other stuff involving, like there was a very significant and, if I'm being very honest, an abusive relationship that happened during my first couple of years at A and M. But dance was also what got me out of that too, and like just became mm-hmm. even more of a solid part of my life. Um, and mm-hmm. Yeah, like it was honestly going to A&M is like one of the greatest decisions in schooling that I could have ever made, and it's on and it's because of like what it what learning about dance, what dance did for me, and the people that I met because of dance through there, and all the opportunities given to me, which I'm still capitalizing on like even now. So, it was dance pretty like intensive, like during college, where you like was it? Um, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you know how I mentioned in middle school and elementary school where I would like. Uh, go to school, and then after soon as school was over, I would go home and then do homework for a little bit and then go outside to, and play outside. It was, like, yeah. the exact same schedule, except instead of going outside, I was dancing now. <laughs> and then on the yeah. weekends, on the weekends when I wasn't dancing, I was playing Super Smash Brothers with Fuse, 
because that's what they did. Because they were nerds, too. Like, and I was a huge nerd, and my nerdism has lasted for as long as I can remember. And they were really, really into video games, and I was really into video games. And so we played a lot of Super Smash Brothers, talked a lot about video games, and talked a lot about nerd stuff. And, you know, I really, really connected with them. And it helped me navigate a lot of, like, what I wanted in a social circle. Like, and it was it was absolutely fantastic. It was really, really great to find a group of people that wanted to do more than just kind of party all the time, which you run into, unfortunately, a decent amount of that at A&M or any really big public mm-hmm. Texas school, um, I think. But mm-hmm. And, you know, I wanted to do a little bit more something like a little more substance than just that. So, like, having a group of people that I could freestyle with and play Super Smash with was just incredible. It was amazing. That's great. Yeah, yeah. College was great. Anna was great, for sure. That's great. Like, uh, so, like, freestyle, like, so what do you prefer? You prefer freestyle? I prefer, like, the more choreographed thing. Yeah, um, I honestly, I can honestly say I don't, I can't conceive of being able to just do one and not having the other. Um, hmm. It's really hard for me to pick it, because they, they both have completely different cultures associated with them. Which is crazy. And I've learned to love both of those cultures. And it's interesting because sometimes the cultures are definitely in conflict with one another in a lot of different ways. But it's become an important part of my identity to be able to do both as much as I can, as often as I can. And um, indulging too much in one makes me feel like I'm missing out on something and that I'm not like, you know, that I'm not dancing as much as I want to. And so if I focus too much on one, then like, dancing doesn't become fun for me anymore. Like, if I don't have both, then I feel kind of empty in terms of dance, like, as unfulfilled. So I really can't pick a favorite. If I was absolutely forced to, if I was absolutely forced to, I would say freestyle better than choreo because freestyle is more about individuality and expressing yourself as a person and um, as a dancer. And, like, it's just, it flows better, and it's so much more, it's just much more expressive and less, like, about how to get from point A to point B to point C. It's just, it's all, it's more about the art. Freestyle is definitely more about the art than choreography is. I think freestyle is definitely my preference, but I don't think I'd ever be fully happy just freestyling and never choreographing. Like I need, I've come to a place where like I need both actively in my life. Otherwise <laughs> it doesn't feel good. Like, or I feel unfulfilled in my dance life. So like right now, like in the group that you're part of for real, like, that's more choreographed, right? And then yes, yes. So real is definitely much more uh-huh. of a choreography emphasis. But they they affirm and they like freestyle. They like it. They just don't. They're not. Uh, their their emphasis is not on freestyle. Their priority is choreography. So you just do freestyle on your own then? Yeah, there's a there's a group of people in Houston. There's like so Houston has a freestyle scene, and there's a group of people that I occasionally like contact and be like, hey, can I come in? session with you guys so session means to like go and freestyle with them and they let me come all the uh-huh. time uh, whenever I can and so I'll go dance with them whenever time permits but if I can't do that which is unfortunately not as much as I want it to be because I have so many other things happening um, then yeah I just freestyle by myself usually in my room sometimes I if time permits I'll actually go to a park or something and bring like my uh-huh. headphones and just kind of do that there and sometimes it draws a crowd it's actually pretty great um yeah. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like weird over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, who the yeah. fuck is that kid doing? Like, he's just some random Indian with headphones on dancing to music that nobody <laughs> like, can hear. Um, it's like a fight club yeah. team, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So, um, yeah, I do. It's mostly because freestyle, obviously, it's a lot easier to do whenever and wherever as opposed to choreography. Like, you need other people and you need, like, a space to teach other people and to learn other people's choreo. And, you know, like, there's a lot more that's required to do choreography than there is for, like, freestyle in terms of practicality because you can freestyle anywhere, whenever. As long as there's music, you can freestyle. Even when there's not music, you can freestyle. <laughs> And like the, you know, you could like beatbox and freestyle. Like I've people have done that before. Um, you just you can make simple beats with like your foot, and you can freestyle to that. You know, like there's just so much, um, more opportunity and ability to be able to freestyle whenever and wherever than there is for something like choreography, where you need a lot of things to kind of be in set and in place to be able to truly kind mm-hmm. of dance with other people in a choreography setting versus a freestyle setting. Mm-hmm. But yeah huge cultural differences it's incredible i could spend way more time than i probably should on books written on this subject yeah yeah it's just even people in the freestyle scene and in the choreography scene don't i think don't really truly understand the other side as much in like unless you've indulged yourself in both or really been actively part of both um but that's a that's a philosophical thing i'm not going to get too much into that <laughs> <laughs> So you've been out of college for now how long? Um, it'll be oh a year and a month. <laughs> so like yeah, just over a year ago you graduated. So what do you tell me now, about doing social work and how did you get into it? Oh man, so um yeah, so I'm grad school in social work uh, through University of Southern California online. So I still I live in Houston and do it through there, do it through here. Um, social work. So I went into college as a psych major, and I kind of have always had this fascination of with people and understanding people and understanding why people do what they do. And I think hints of that came out earlier when I was describing. And, like, even in, like, fourth grade when I had this, like, this fucking notebook, like, <laughs> right, of just, like, describing yeah. people. Um, this has always been this fascination of trying to understand. Um, because I always felt like if I understand others – then I can understand myself, and then I can understand others better and kind of just why do people do what they do? Like, I've just had this pressing thing forever in my mind. So I became a psych major, and then I picked up another major in philosophy, and that became, like, huge for me in college, it was psych and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the social sciences. So I took anthro, I took um, sociology, I took, God, just so many different social sciences classes, wherever I could put space in it. And, um, but throughout all of this, I was also doing pre-med because I was under the, like, because of medical academy and a lot of other things, like being Indian, I was under the impression that I was going to be a doctor. And I never really questioned that. I questioned literally everything else about my life, except for that. Like, I never truly yeah. questioned it. I just kind of took it for granted that this is where I was going to end up. Um, so how I got into social work specifically, what happened was I took all my pre-med classes. I even got to the point where I took and finished my MCAT. And, like, I did really well on my MCAT. And so I actually went and applied to med school and, I like, finished applying. And then I even got, like, my first med school interview. And, like, that was, I think, either the end of, like, the end of, like, December 2016 or January 2017. I don't remember too well, but when I got that letter, like, it's like, it came as an email, right? And it was like, from it's on the, like, the, like the website gives you an email or like the school gives you an email, right? And like, you can't, 
to tell you whether or not, like, you got an interview. And it's, like, the most nerve-wracking thing in the world. But I remember when I opened up that email, and this was, like, from a good school. Like, the first interview I got was from, like, this amazing med school. And I was like, oh, my God. And But when I opened it and I read, like, that I got the interview or whatever, or, like, that they wanted me to come interview, I just, there was no sense of victory in it. Like, I didn't feel anything. There was no sense of accomplishment. There was no happiness. There was no, there was nothing that you should have felt when reading something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There was nothing. Elated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you registered your own reaction at the time. Yeah. Like, I reacted to it that way, and I was like, what? This isn't how this is supposed to be. I'm not supposed to react to it like this. Like, I reacted way better to my MCAT score than I did to, like, the product of the MCAT score, which was this interview. You know? And it was, like, this med school that, like, so many people would have loved to go to. Like, it was a great med school. Like, I can't downplay that. Um, and I was like, why? I should feel good about this. But I don't. Like, I don't feel good about this at all. And then, so that was, and I was like, you know what? I'm just being dumb. Let me just wait this out a little bit before I reply. And then I got, like, another nine interviews <laughs> from different schools. Um, yeah. And, but every single time another one of those came in and I read it, I was like, there was nothing. Like, there was just nothing. I felt like nothing <laughs> towards it. And then I had to re-examine it. Like, why, you know, why am I reacting this way? Because I know this isn't coincidence. I don't want to go into this just because it's laid out for me. I need to, I'm the kind of person where I'm like, I need to be sure that this is where I want to be before I decide on it. And when I went back, I realized that, like, a lot of my time and energy was spent in dancing, in psychology, in philosophy. Like, I really wasn't putting a whole lot of investment into getting my pre-med requirements satisfied. Like, there wasn't a lot. It was I was doing it because it was the thing to do. There was no motivation. There was no internal drive towards it. Um, my internal drive always pointed towards taking extra psych classes and extra philosophy classes I didn't need instead of, like, you know, trying to find doctors to shadow or trying to, you know, like, all the stuff that you need to do for med school. All I took right. all of that time, and I invested it in other stuff that wasn't not going to help me get into med school, <laughs> which yeah. ironically helped me get interviews, but... You know, it was that's where I was, and I even like it even got yeah. to the point where like I rejected uh, a shadowing opportunity with uh, a like a neurosurgeon, you know, which was incredible, like an incredible opportunity. I rejected it to go and volunteer for crisis text line, which isn't nearly as like prestigious or whatever. But like I felt like there was more of a purpose to crisis than there was to me like shadowing a doctor. What's the volunteer group you volunteered with? Oh, crisis text line. So it's like the platform uh-huh. where people text uh like their problems in or like something that they want to talk about and then you respond to it. Like as a volunteer you would respond to it and try to help them out with whatever's going on and it's usually a crisis situation of some kind. Mm. So like there was like an application process to it and like a training process to it and like I did all of that and so that's what that was. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I ended up doing that and so like, you know, so I just there was a lot of things when I realized looking back on it, like at the time that I got these interview letters or whatever that I was like I don't think my I think my body and my heart has been telling me not to do this for a while and I'm only just now acknowledging it. And so began this whole process of like, well shit, it's February twenty seventeen, I graduate in three months, I need to figure out what the fuck to do. Yeah, so I was I spent most of that time talking to a bunch of people and I actually talked to my supervisor on crisis text line and she was a social worker and then I also talked to some of my lab bosses. This is because I worked at a clinical psychology lab at the time, you know, or like, a, sorry, a social psychology lab 
my senior year, and I talked to everybody about it, and I looked at all the different paths and did a lot of Google searches into, like, psychology and whatever. And then I found, like, so I found this definition of social work. I I remember when I found it, too. I was in a medical sociology class, which I had taken, and I was just kind of in. And, you know, I wasn't really paying attention in class because, like, this was the easiest shit class. So, like, I was Googling, like, career paths or whatever. And I found social work. And the definition, I remember it to something it was like, the whole point of this profession is to make the world a better place, is to, like, create positive social change. Like, that's the point of the job. And I'll, like, that just connected with me. Like, that really just resonated. I'm like, that's an amazing place to, like, do that. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole point of this job is to create a better world. Like, of course, yeah. Who would want that? And I already yeah. had so many frustrations with, like, a lot of what would happen if I had kind of decided to take the medical route in terms of frustrations with, like, just, like, priorities and patients and, you know, inpatient versus outpatient and, like, um, you know, the like, medicines as opposed to, like, talk therapy kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did do – and I shadowed a psychiatrist. I shadowed several psychiatrists, actually, when I was in College Station. And what sucked the most was seeing how much of an emphasis there was on medication as opposed to, like, empathy <laughs> you know like right as opposed to therapy like it was just like there was just a notepad a lot of the time and i was like this isn't how this, this just didn't feel right yeah most people most of the time people just get like just a medication for their problems there's not much yeah goes on. yeah exactly and i was like this just there just feels something too mechanical here and too like i just felt like something about the human element was missing when i was doing those shadowing so mm-hmm. i was like there's just something off and so when i looked more into social work i was like oh these guys are psychotherapists and when I looked into social work, I was like, oh, you can literally do everything with this degree. Like, mm-hmm. there's the, like, the, I can do anything. Any, any job or any profession that has anything to do with helping people, there's some social work, yeah. uh, like, thing to it. And that was an amazing thing. And then I realized that I could get my doctorate in social work. And, like, and at that level, you can make macro change, like policy change, um, like, on levels that affect millions and millions of people if you really wanted to and like all this other stuff. And so I just fell in love with it, like this description. And then the more I looked into it, the more I fell in love with it. And, you know, I, and I guess one of the biggest things was just realizing that like when I was reading the description, there was something that kind of resonated with it. I was like, so this is what it feels like to be passionate about a career. (laughs) Yeah. So this is what that feels like to be passionate about something in this sector. And so that, like feeling is what I took with me and then long story short uh I found two programs the like one of the the top two programs in the country for some reason still um were allowing applications and I didn't have to take a GRE like the graduate student grad student prerequisite exam but like um again these programs I applied to both I got into both um and so I chose the one that let me stay in Houston well actually I, I I was supposed to move to LA originally, but um, that's really expensive. So I actually transferred out of there on campus and into there. Uh, like they have a virtual one where I could do it online. It's the same program. So and I and I get the same degree at the end of it. It's not like any distinction between the two. So like I'd rather stay in Houston and just do that. So yeah, and so I'm and now I'm finishing up grad school for that, and I finish up in December. So it has been an amazing experience so far, and like everything that I've been doing in it has just been validating my decision to be here in the first place. And it and it's a good place, you know, because I know that because I got the med school interviews, so I know that I didn't decide this based on like my there's not there's no what if on like oh maybe 
if I'd stuck with medicine, like, I would have been okay with it. Or, like, maybe if mm-hmm. I had, like, maybe I wasn't good enough to get into med school. Because I'm convinced at this point that I could have gotten in if I tried harder. Or, like, if I'd gone to the interviews. Like, I I have a feeling that I'm pretty sure I could have at least gotten one of those. Like, gotten into one of those schools if I'd gone to all the yeah. interviews. Um, so there's no, like, what if for me. You know, it's good. It's a good feeling mm-hmm. to know that I got into social work because, like, because this is what I wanted and not because I didn't feel like I was good enough in something that's socially perceived as being harder. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And especially culturally, like our culturally being perceived as harder when mm-hmm. like when this job honestly is just, I mean, this is hard. This is hard work that I'm doing right now because as right now, part of my program is being an on-staff psychotherapist somewhere. So I have my own clients and I have my own client load. And I'm doing all this work and it's a really hard job, mm-hmm. but it's so fulfilling. Like it's the most fulfill. It's the most fulfilling thing at the end of the day after coming back from work. Even though it's such a busy schedule, I that I'm not getting paid for right now. But like it's mm-hmm. it's a great feeling. Like knowing that I can making even like the smallest difference in somebody's life for the better, and truly helping these people out and getting validation that I'm helping these people out every week and seeing them progress and getting better, and knowing that like I'm a very like important reason and important force in helping them get better is like the most amazing feeling. It's the most altruistically amazing feeling, honestly. So sounds great. So yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's like. So can you like for people who have no idea what social work is, like can you like kind of try to break it down? I yeah, mean, you can't talk so. About a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, oh man, um, there's not really an easy definition for it, honestly. Um, but what it is is any profession that can honestly, like that, can help people. So, a lot of it is mental health, but there's also room for it in like policy, making social policy, and advocating for people that um, don't really have a voice for themselves. Like, you can specialize in homeless populations, uh, abused kids, or kids in general, adults in general, uh, different communities. Um, you know, just basically, it's a lot of, like, just helping people out in the most concrete ways possible using the system to your advantage. To Like, having the knowledge to use the system, having a knowledge of people, a very intricate and intense knowledge of human psychology and of, like, American bureaucratic systems and being able to, like coincide the knowledge of both to actually help people as best as you can help them. Um, And this can take a lot of different forms on any level. So there's the micro level where it's more like individuals and kind of, you know, one at a time in support groups and stuff. There's the mezzo level, which is like communities, uh, community organization, community agencies, and like uh, directing agencies on that level. And then there's the macro level, which is like national and state policy and state um, mm-hmm. you know, like advocating for people on that level. So, like on micro with stuff like that, you can do anything from like hospital social work to case management to, uh, you know, psychotherapy, which is what I'm doing. So, like having your own clients or like, like facilitating support groups. Um, well, quick question on this one, like on psychotherapy. So, what makes you different than like a psychologist? It seems like you're doing therapy work, right? So yeah. Like a, to be honest, there's not a whole lot of difference. Like, so there's 
There's the, there's psychologists, uh, social workers, and then there's LPC, which is licensed and practicing counselors. All three of those officially mm. are licensed and able to practice psychotherapy. The mm. biggest difference between them is the kind of training that goes into it. So the reason I chose social work is because in my biased opinion, I consider it the most, um, I consider it the, like, honestly the best, uh, foundational knowledge to be used in the psychotherapy setting because Psychology emphasizes more so individualistic stuff and individuals and really focusing on, like, internal processes and how cognition works on an internal level and, like, what's going on within you kind of thing. Um, LPCs are very, very similar, but they're a little bit more broader to encompass people that don't have as severe problems like mental health and stuff. Like, they're able to – they have official training in being able to help with even, like, some minor life stressors and, like, phase of life transitional stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um Social work, the biggest thing about social work is we have all of the above, but we also have something called a systems perspective, which is this idea that nothing can happen, nothing is individual of itself. Everything happens with the context. Like context is the most important thing um, mm-hmm. for anything and everybody. So that essentially means that you can't use the same therapeutic technique on two people that present with the same issues because their context and their upbringing and their culture and everything about their life might be completely different from one another. And so uh-huh. what the social work perspective, it integrates that into being able to use therapy, in my opinion, a lot better than psychology and LPC does, which is why I decided to do social work instead of psychology or LPC. Because the systems, that systems perspective, like the perspective yeah, like of contextual like structures. Like approach everyone, is that right? Like, yeah. Because other systems are like, okay, this is the problem, this is how you treat it, versus this is, like, more individualized to the person. Yeah, it's like, exactly. It's it's very, very, very individualized to the person. Like, what works for one person is going to work for the other person, which is, is extremely frustrating, but it's also, like, I think, truthfully how it's supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. everybody has a different story, and everyone's life experiences are different. And everyone can, anyone who goes through quote-unquote, the same experience, might perceive it differently. So social work teaches you how to treat different perceptions and how to adapt to that um, because it's part of the integrated curriculum for us to be able to know how to deal with that kind of stuff, which is why I like. So the difference is, like, how you approach it. But at the end of the day, even, like, psych and LPC, I mean, they learn this stuff too. We learn it, and all of us learn it on some level, but social work emphasizes it more is the biggest Uh thing. So, but in practice, there really isn't a whole lot of difference between them. Like, in terms of psychotherapy, mm. like, there's not. But practically speaking, you can do way more with a social work degree. Like, psych and LPC degrees are a little bit more restrictive. It kind of forces you to work on a micro scale. Um, yeah. Well, actually, for, with psych, that isn't as true. With psych, it forces you to work on the scale that you choose at the beginning. With social work, I can switch between any level that I choose at any point in time that I choose if I whenever I want to like I can drop a micro job and go and work for a state policy agency or firm if I decide to because my degree lets me do that um so there's way more flexibility but the other biggest difference is I'm not I don't get paid as much (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh because it's like there's just like a that's a lot of that is due to social stigma like people um don't have the most uh, highest opinion of social workers, especially if they've never worked with one before. Like, the perception of it is, like, oh, you take away our kids and stuff. So there's, like, a lot of 
um, resentment sometimes that comes out towards the field. And unfortunately, that's tangibly taken action in, like, how much we get paid sometimes. So, you know, that's something that's happened before, and that's something that we kind of have to deal with. Uh, but, yeah. It's, I mean, I love it. <laughs> but that's the biggest difference between, like, what I do and, like, a psychologist does. Um, on a practical scale, there really isn't any, but, like, in terms of what kind of training goes into it and, like, what kinds of things you can do with the degree itself, there's a lot of difference. Mm-hmm. Do you know what your goals are? Do you have any goals for organically developing that you want to work uh, on? Yeah. Yeah, like, you mean, like, in terms of what, like, social work or just, like what do you social mean? work? <laughs> social yeah, like, work. Okay. Do you want to work on a micro scale, or do you want to go to the macro scale, or do you want to do? Yeah, what is like? Do you have any yeah, yeah. Sense? So mm-hmm. there's still a lot of discovery going on in that part. But what I figured out, I think, is I I want to do both. I want to work on a macro scale so that I can make a difference on a level that like acts like has a very very large and perceived impact. And I know there's a lot of opposition on that level, but I want to do it anyways. But I also want to work mm-hmm. micro. I want to do both. I want to work micro too because I don't want to lose the human touch because I think it's extremely important to constantly remind myself like who I'm advocating for, you know, like the human spirit and like knowing that and interacting with it and reminding and remembering like why I'm doing the macro work in the first place, but also still making mm-hmm. a difference on in somebody else. Like, I think it's really important to make a difference on a scale that affects the entire country, and I think it's equally important to make a big difference in somebody for that one person um, mm-hmm. in their lives. I think both of those are weighed equally, and so because of that, I want to like I want to be able to do both of those at the same time in my future. But one thing I'm starting to realize is in my experience so far as a psychotherapist in the field placement that I'm doing right now, I didn't realize how important it was going to be that being Indian was. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example. Like, one of my clients right now is uh, a closeted South Asian. There's a lot of closeted South Asians that I deal with, actually. And uh, mm-hmm. one of my clients is a closeted South Asian person. And they, um, you know, are like my client and they chose to be my client specifically because they knew that I could understand some of the cultural pressures that were going on in regards to their own process of trying to figure some stuff out. And mm-hmm. I've only been, I'm, you know, I've only been a therapist for like a few months, but I've already kind of unintentionally attracted this population of uh, like South Asians <laughs> that need help right. with a lot of different things. Um because there just isn't a lot of South Asians working in this sector. And I think I realize now that there needs to be more South Asians working in this sector because there's, like, this entire population of Indians who are – that have a lot of cultural barriers that prevent them from getting kind of the kind kind of adequate, I think, mental health they need with whatever stuff they're going through. Um, And – I'm realizing more and more now that maybe this is a sector I want to go into is to help address that population a little bit more because one is kind of an obligation because it's like I, my entire life is kind of a tool that I can use to help me figure out how to help this population out a lot more because I identify with mm-hmm. it. So that's going to help a mm-hmm. ton more than anything else could. And the other part of it is like I would be filling a gap that I didn't even realize existed in the first place in terms of 
mental health and Asians. Like, right. There's like such a huge gap for Asians to seek mental health services. So many people don't do it. And like, even in my personal life, I've encountered people that have gone through some like really, really traumatic shit and they're all Asians and never sought help for it. So I never perceived that that was a thing that could happen. Um, you know, like going to therapy is like such a, such a big decision for us. <laughs> like, it's like, how are these the for, you then? Like, how are these, um, sorry? Yeah. Which is How are these South Asian clients, these uh, South Asian clients that you have, how are they yeah. finding you? Like, how are they like getting, yeah, in contact? Dude, word of mouth, apparently. <laughs> But like, like how they started, use, I mean, isn't there a stigma for people to even seek treatment in the first place? So like these people are actually seeking it out, right? Yeah. So it started out as I was a co-facilitator for a support group called the Coming Out Support Group at the place that I work. And through that, there was mm-hmm. a lot of people that were coming through there that were South Asian. And so mm-hmm. we connected in that way. And then it ended up being, there ended up being a position where it was like, hey, is it possible for, where I was asked, like, hey, is it possible? Um, you know, and I was talking to this guy, and we were, like, figuring it out, like, if it was possible for us to be, like, for that, for him um, and them to be my client. Because I was like, there's a lot of stuff that's coming up in group that I want to be able to address with you, and I think I can help you out. And this person was receiving psychotherapy outside of it with another independent psychotherapist that didn't have that cultural background. So they decided to try it with me, and they're already doing way better now, you know? Um, and it's mm-hmm. not because I'm, like, a better therapist or whatever. It's honestly just because of the cultural connection and the connections that I can make mm-hmm. to that because I've lived it to some degree um, and have yeah. an understanding of it to some degree. And so mm-hmm. once that success story hit, then that person talked about it in group a little bit. And so um, a lot of people in those group would kind of talk to me about it, and then it just started this whole thing. And now even to the point of where, like, some of my family members will call me <laughs> and, like, ask me some confidential questions about stuff because they're like, I don't know how to handle this. And because there's this level of comfort. It's like, oh, he's a – it's like the shittiest thing in the world, kind of. It's like, oh, you know, we only trust other Indians. And you know you know how that goes, right? Like, Indians that work with other Indians. Um, in this yeah. case, I'm using it. It seems like it's being used in like a beneficial way because because I'm Indian, even though it's the most superficial thing in the world, people that weren't originally comfortable talking to somebody else will talk to me mm-hmm. because they perceive me as Indian yeah. and they perceive that I understand certain things. Which, I mean, I will. I go, I'm not going to. Yeah, I do. I do understand those things, so I can help more than someone else might be able to. But the biggest success is the fact that they feel comfortable enough to reach out in the first place. Yeah. Um. So me existing in some capacity just as that is addressing some kind of gap, which is like that's amazing, you know? Like that I can't I can't I can't really put into words how great it feels to know that I haven't been doing this very long and I can already see that like I'm making a very tangible difference. That's just so great. You know, it's so cool. It's also extremely it brings out a lot of insecurities, like, oh my god, am I good enough like <laughs> to be doing this? Um but but it's mostly great. You know, yeah, I don't think you so. ever feel like you're good enough. I think you have like a heart to actually want to help people. I think that's yeah, self is thanks. So. thanks. I've yeah, a lot of my colleagues remind me that too. They're like, dude, you got this. <laughs> and I have my own supervisors yeah. and my own boss stuff that I talk to about it too. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, this is great. And they tell me all the time, like, it's so great that you're here to help with this. 
because it's an important gap, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that you're kind of fulfilling it. And, you know, having that validation from so many people, including you, which thank you, is like, it fuels it. You know, it's good. It's good to know that I'm doing something, even though I haven't even graduated yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, which means, like, oh, my God, there's so many possibilities after I graduate, like, to help out people. And I'm already kind of looking into, like, okay, what can I do with this ambition tangibly? You know, yeah. after I graduate, where can I get my first job? And because I want to go for my doctorate, too. I'm like, okay, once I get my doctorate, how can I apply it in a productive way and, you mm-hmm. know, to really help with whatever kind of gap there is here? So, you know, being able to have that kind of purpose is great. So you're going to finish this upcoming December? Yep. You're going to go for your doctorate right away? You're thinking about um, I will go for yeah. I have to work for at least two to three years before I can even apply for it. Um, and then that program will be two years long, two to three years, depending on which mm-hmm. program. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I have I'm gonna get a job somewhere. The idea is to get a job somewhere for two to three years first with the masters that I get in December, and then just to do that, and then also during that time to figure out like my finances and kind of like. Uh, like moving out and trying to figure out how to live independently first a little bit. And then once I have a lot of that stuff kind of figured out in terms of like my strategy and once that stuff is stabilized, like that transition, that phase of life transition, then I'm going to like apply for my doctorate and get that done. And who knows from there. I'm hoping something will get figured out with how to tangibly (laughs) apply the doctorate to whatever my job is or whatever I want it to be by the time all of that's, you know, so, do you know where you want to move, or are you going to stay in Houston? I think I think I'm figuring out that I would want to stay in Houston. The city is amazing, and I'm realizing it more and more because the place that I work is like in the city, and I never really explored Houston before. We've only ever lived in the suburbs. We've never really explored Houston, like as a family. There was never any reason to, but. Working here has given me an opportunity to kind of explore it a little bit more and to see what the city is more about. It's like, this city is amazing. There's so many mm-hmm. hidden gems and pockets of things to do that I didn't even realize were here before. There's just so much. Like, you can never get bored here. And not to mention, the dance scene is incredible. Um, and, like, also the food is incredible. And, like, the culture here, there's so much culture in Houston. Like... Mm. intersecting cultures from different areas and different and I love that especially from like a social work perspective like that everything all of my ambitions that fuel me wanting to be a social worker are fueled by seeing that culture stuff play out like I love that there's so much culture in Houston I like and I don't you know just considering the fact that like it's the fourth biggest city in the world or not in the world not the world what am I saying the fourth biggest city in the country um, and, yeah. like, what are the other three? It's New York, Chicago, and uh, L.A., right? I think. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, out of those four, Houston is definitely not the most aesthetically pleasing, but it's the cheapest. It has just as much culture as, like, those other three cities. And I've lived here my entire life, so, like, weather and heat and everything is not something I have to worry about. And also, unfortunately, there's a lot of work for me here. There's a lot of people that, like... There's, like, a very, very large South Asian population here and in this region in general, you know. Uh, with There's, like, a yeah. lot of interplay between here and Dallas, which, you know, you know a lot about Dallas, Austin, and, like, just all of the people that are kind of taking up this hemisphere of South Asian stuff, you know, is 
there's a lot that I could use here to like establish a pretty good life here, I think. Um, and so I'm, the more I think about it, the more I realize like, I really want to stay in the city. Um, I'm already used to it, you know, but I've already kind of established my roots here to some degree. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And even though it's like 30, 40 minutes away from parents, which is great because now parents can kind of be there and family can be there. But it's also like it's a completely yeah. different city. Like I never really lived here before. I lived in a suburb. I never lived in Houston. So it feels like if I do move to Houston, what then I would Houston? be moving like, to something. What, what is Houston to you? Like which part of Houston is Houston? Like where do you want to live? Oh yeah, like uh, probably closer like Midtown Montrose area, like Mid Maine, um, like within the city, like within the city. You know what I mean? Like closer to. Uh, like medical downtown. center area or what? Yeah, med center area, med center area. Um, mm-hmm. Not downtown. I take away, I take back downtown, but more, yeah, right, definitely like, like more Montreal med center. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff there, and it's not like super expensive or anything. Like but those are like the, the yeah. Say what? When I was there for the year. I like I like that area living there when I lived there uh, during my fellowship. Yeah, for your fellowship. Yeah. Area. Yeah, 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 because yeah, you, I mean, you were, your your fellowship was in the med center, right? It was, like, right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, I, I have a couple of friends here who uh, were in Baylor this whole time, and they were in med school here and stuff, and, like, they told me, too. Like, they gave me so many places here that I've never even realized existed here, and I have a couple, like, and I can explain. And there's a lot of nerd stuff that happens here, so, like, that helps, too. Not to mention, like, the mm-hmm. freestyle dance scene and, like, the hip-hop dance scene. So on a personal level, there's just a lot of great stuff in Houston that, like, I don't think I'd want to give mm-hmm. up. <laughs> like, at least, yeah. you know, not immediately. Um, so, yeah. I think I want to end up here. That's great. <laughs> you, know where, yeah. you know what you like. I do. And I'm getting a lot of like it, a too. Lot of fun over there. Yeah, it would, I think it would be great to be able to experience that because this place is a lot of stuff. And I'm thankful that I was, I'm exposed enough to it to know that like, that all this stuff is here, you know, so I know exactly where to look. Once I'm in a position mm-hmm. where I, you know, once school is kind of finished and I can stabilize a little bit, then I know what I'm looking for and like, I know how this city operates. Like, I know how to live here. You know what I mean? Like, I know the rhythm of it. Yeah. Um, I know what the routine is like. I know what happens, where it happens, like the ins and outs of it to some degree. So all of those things I don't have to worry about <laughs> because I already have it. But I still get the experience of like moving to a completely different place. You know what I mean? And I think that's like, mm-hmm. I think giving that up would be stupid. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, definitely want to end up back here. That's great. I think like uh, you covered a good chunk of your life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It was my entire life. We got a lot of it left, but that's it's a pretty yeah. good for a 22 year run, I think. So um, I had to end with like, you know, Bala asked me to ask you a question. And oh, really? To ask you like, um, why you hate him so much? <laughs> oh man, there's the. We would have to schedule another interview for me to be able to answer. <laughs> like. There's too many. I mean, that's just, that's a loaded, that's such a, there's so many reasons. He could probably list half of them. He's probably in denial about half of them. That's probably what it is. <laughs> maybe because you beat him, maybe because you like, it, yeah. that's why. Gears of War. Gears of War. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Plus, he's just a terrible person. So there's that. That's a pretty significant one. He's just a yeah, bad person. Yeah, that's, that, that, <laughs> itself, that itself is like, yeah, you can't help that. I mean, you can't hold it against him if you're born like that. So yeah, I mean, you know, he's just he's just kind of a bad guy. I guess it's something you get used to. But I mean, I can I can choose not to like him for it. You know, like I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't wait till he hears this in the conversation that ensues. I should record that conversation. That would be great. But <laughs> well, um, yeah, thank you for talking to me. Um, yeah, yeah, man, thanks for it's been great thanks for giving me this chance. This is this is it's got me in my memes. I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. I think like all the stuff that I talked about for sure. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, you have a good night, and I'll, you know, I'll talk to you later. All right, Anna, for sure. Talk to you later. Okay. Good night. Bye.